introverted noise. Hurry up, Daddy. Welcome back to another episode of the Pocket Protectors Podcast. I am your host, Jason Brown. You can find me on Twitter at BrownJason. And it's been too long. Again, it's my fault. Life has been hectic. Things have been busy. But I am back here with the smartest gentleman on all of the internet to talk about some football things related to our Minnesota Vikings. So let's hop right to it. Dr. Eric Eager, my man. How you doing? How you been? Going well. Um, it was interesting last time we chatted. It was prior to the Seahawks Vikings game, in which I liked the. I said the Vikings would be competitive. Our model at PFF liked the Seahawks, so it was sort of a conflicting game, and ended up being sort of entertaining. And like the Vikings are wont to do, the last two games they've taken care of business, and now they have a big one this week against the Green Bay Packers. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And we will have to talk about that. And uh, our man. Nick, I think possibly uh, doing the podcasting from the car yet again, but he is just so good. He can do that. Nick, my man, how you doing? How you been? I'm great, man. These last couple of weeks have been like therapeutic. Like I'm so used to tense last second disasters with the Vikings that like two straight blowouts has just been like, oh man, this is, I can, I can get used to this. I mean, seven turnovers, that was beautiful. So I'm, All right, I'm well, feeling good heading into uh, the big Green Bay matchup. Well, you brought it up, so, you know, it has been a little while since we chatted. Nick, why don't you start us off here? What are your thoughts on what's been going on with the Vikings these past couple weeks? And what's the big thing that you're taking away, especially after the Chargers game? Because I know that as we got into the middle point of the season, the offense started to seem to be kind of pulling away from the defense a little bit. We had a lot of questions about what was going on in the back end. We, uh, We continued to have questions about the lack of interior push. And uh, it seemed like they really had a, a get-right game against the Chargers and, uh, and showcased some of that ability that, uh, that you know, reminded us that they do have some uh, elite talent and the ability, you know, at times to, to play like an elite defense. Yeah, I mean, that Chargers game was kind of weird because it started out with the Chargers converting like three or four out of five third and longs, like, including like a third and 17. It was pretty crazy. But we kept getting them into, I mean, that's bad news, but the good news is we kept getting them into third and long situations. And over time, you know, generally, um, the average NFL team will succeed a lot there, and the Vikings especially should succeed there because Zimmer finished back-to-back years as the best third-down defense in the NFL. Obviously, won't this year, but that's something that you would, you would, I think you would still project to be a strength of the Vikings' third-down defense. Um, and then, obviously, once once the, the fumble uh, touchdown happened with uh, Fadio Denebo. Uh, then the gates kind of burst open, and then seven turnovers um, led to a, a pretty big, it was the Vikings' biggest um, road win in 30 years, basically. So um, that helps. Obviously, you, you won't expect to get seven turnovers every game. Um, you know, I think a, a little bit of Philip Rivers' arm strength comes into play there, where, you know, some passes floated that other passes, uh, other quarterbacks would not float, would have a little more um, uh, oomph behind him. Uh, and then the the fumbles, you know, you're not going to recover all the fumbles. You know, we we forced five fumbles, we recovered four, 
on defense. So, and that's actually probably a better than than you know having unforced fumbles where the offense just sort of uh, botches a handoff or something. Saw that with actually Cousins, um, and we recovered those fumbles too. So, good fumble luck, and you won't expect the interceptions going forward. But we are seeing better play from the defense. I mean, a lot of players had really good games. Barr and Kendricks both had really good games. Um, the Anthony Harris had a fantastic game. Daniil Hunter had, I think, the best game of his career. Not just that, you know, everybody remembers the, the, the forced fumble that Odenabo recovered. He had another forced fumble as well. And then in the run game, it's just like teach tape. He was destroying guys. Um, and as, as a pass rusher, too, it was just demolishing guys. So a lot of really good play from the defense. Um, we're interestingly seeing Xavier Rhodes start to rotate in and out with Mike Hughes a lot. I think Mike Hughes out-snapped Rhodes, and it wasn't even, you know, Rhodes got a little banged up, but Zimmer said after the game, but that's that's not even, a, that was the plan going in was that Hughes would, you know, would rotate and would end up taking the lion's share of the snaps. So uh, it's interesting to see that rotation going forward because I think it's resulted in, in better results. And obviously, you remember Mike Hughes getting kind of mossed by Mike Williams for the touchdown and that other long pass, but he also had a, an interception that was a good read on the ball and good break, and he had a nice pass breakup. Um, and so, you know, Trey Waynes had a great game too. So we're seeing, I feel like with the secondary, it's secondary is so random. And I think the Vikings are playing, the results are worse than the Vikings are playing. And I expect some positive regression uh, as we head into the last couple of weeks of the season and into the playoffs, because I think these cornerbacks are good. And, you know, I, I swear throwing it into contested coverage is usually a bad thing for an offense, but for whatever reason, everybody seems to be uh, getting mossed, uh, whether it's Rhodes or Waynes or Hughes or whoever, they're all having guys draped. They're all in perfect position and coverage and just not able to come down with the ball. So um, I do think the secondary will continue to play well. So that's, I think, the, the main takeaway I have is that the defense is playing a lot better. Um, and we're starting to see what, you know, what kind of uh, powerhouse the Vikings could be if the offense and the defense start clicking at the same time. Yeah, so Eric, speaking of a uh, diminishing arm talent, uh, the Vikings do have a game this coming Monday night against uh, Aaron Rodgers. So, uh, you know, given what we just saw against, you know, an, an, an aged quarterback whose best days possibly could be behind him, what are your thoughts on what we might see from this matchup with uh, with the Vikings when, when uh, they, they play the Packers on Monday? Yeah, I mean, despite the fact that Aaron Rodgers made the Pro Bowl um, over Kirk Cousins, we had him uh, about ninth or tenth, I think, in war. Cousins is actually a top five player uh, in that metric this year. Um, so um, that you know, that's something where if you look at these two teams, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers used to scare me. You know, watching the Packers growing up. Uh, against the Vikings, but he should not scare Minnesota in this game. And in fact, the, you know, people forget that, you know, they basically scored 21 points in a quarter uh, in the September game uh, and they didn't score the rest of the football game. I think that that probably, you know, will continue itself, uh, you know, into the game on on Monday night. And, And so, you know, I fully expect the best quarterback in this game to be Kirk Cousins. And, you know, you look at the Packers, you know, receiving core. And I think to, to Nick's point, I, I disagree with Nick in that, you know, when we go into the playoffs, um, you know, the types of quarterbacks that they're going to play and the, and the types of receivers that these quarterbacks can throw to are probably going to give the Vikings troubles, but at least in this game on Monday night, um, I think it'll be less of an issue because I basically have Devonte Adams, who's not a contest catch guy and a bunch of players who really aren't particularly good. Uh, and 
So I think the Vikings should have success defensively. And uh, to, like I said, I think that Kirk Cousins will come out as the better quarterback in the game should he play uh, the way he's played over the last you know two and a half months. Yeah, so Eric, with, with something like war, can you yeah, help me understand maybe some of the gap between you know, Kirk Cousins, who's still you know ranked in the, I believe at the last time I checked, the, the top 10 for PFF grade. How is he so much higher and wins uh, above replacement? Well, it's just volume and then what the other players on your team are doing. So, uh, for example, a guy like Lamar Jackson, when he has, you know, the highest ward offensive line in the entire league, that's just, you know, there's only so many win shares to take up on that team. And so Lamar's going to get fewer as a function of the number that there are. Now, there are more to go around for the Ravens, too, but it's less, you know, it's diminishing returns. With Cousins offensively, you look at um, – you know, that team. And yeah, Dalvin Cook is a, you know, has had a good season, but he's also a running back. The A lot of his value is going to be given to the offensive line. The offensive line has not been the greatest pass blocking offensive line this year. They haven't been terrible, but they're not, they're certainly not blowing the doors off of the league. Uh, and he's basically had one receiver to throw to. And frankly, Stefan Diggs has been awesome, but he has, I would say Kirk has given more to Stefan Diggs than Stefan Diggs has given to Kirk. Um, you know, because, you know, three of, three of Cousins' interceptions were literally dropped by Stephon Diggs. Uh, a lot of times, you know, and some of it's scheme, but a lot of times, you know, Kirk is throwing passes that are perfect down the field to Stephon Diggs, and he's capitalizing on them to, to his credit. But I think Kirk, you know, as a function of that offense um, is, you know, doing a, you know, and of course, we're talking about players here. Coaches, I think, certainly add a lot of value that we're not capturing. But as far as the players on that offense, I think you you have to make the case that Cousins is the most important one, and he's producing uh, you know the biggest share uh, of the of the good things that the Vikings are doing. So so with that said, I guess what do you make of the argument that you you typically would hear, and you know it's one that it makes sense in in many cases that um, you know Cousins, as I would add the caveat, as are are most quarterbacks in the league, is is largely or wholly a function of, of his supporting cast and the offensive line and Dalvin Cook and the wide receivers and the tight ends are really what are driving all of Kirk Cousins' success. And, and for those reasons, we should maybe look to diminish what we're seeing from, from Kirk Cousins this year, even though the, the numbers look as good as they have been season to date. Yeah, I mean, I think the time for that is probably the offseason. I think right now, Stefanski is doing what he's doing. He's going to be the offensive coordinator for the Vikings for the time being. Um, and, and so we're probably going to get, you know, adjusting for opponent and things like that. We're probably going to get what we've gotten from Kirk, uh, you know, the, this season. It's going to be the subsequent season where there are perturbations, right? And and to, to Cousins' credit, like his best, you know, second best receiver in Adam Thielen has been out for a great deal of the time. Um, you know, he's not exactly throwing to brilliant players in B.C. Johnson and Laquan Treadwell. Uh, you know, uh, they're breaking in a rookie tight end who's been a pretty good player, but certainly a rookie tight end. Um, and an offensive line that I think, you know, is not is supremely talented, but he, you know, he's avoiding pressure better this season. So you look, and and I think relative to this season, he's done a, you know, he's going to do a good job and the, the, the system is in place. Now, the question is, is next year when Stefanski gets a head coaching job or, you know, or leaves for a, maybe a more high-paying OC job or one where he has more control and he doesn't have Kubiak over his shoulder, 
what happens, right? Or or if the Vikings don't get a number three receiver in the offseason or they or Kyle Rudolph retires or something like that. Those are all I think valid questions and you know the same questions that people are gonna have about Dak Prescott and Lamar and Lamar Jackson and, and Derek Carr and players who are sort of like playing well this season relative to history. Um, but I think during this season it, it's probably just as fair to assume that things are going to continue the way that they are um, because they're a product of the system and not some like outlier play, like play under pressure or stuff like that. Okay. Well, you mentioned the offensive line and that, you know, they are, I mean, they're all right. Um, And, and obviously from where they have been over the last couple of seasons, I think for both of the last two seasons, PFF had the offensive line in the, uh, the bottom third of the league uh, towards the end of the season this year, doing much better. And there was an awesome article that came out uh, earlier today that, Nick, I was hoping you'd be able to walk us through it because you're the one who dropped it into uh, the group chat uh, where basically PFF did a, a quantitative uh, analysis on, on pass pro and looking at things in a different and, uh, dare I say, smarter way than we have often looked at, uh, at pass protection and pressure rates and things of that sort. So, uh, Nick, take us away on how the offensive line for the Vikings, I guess, and everyone has really been performing, but we really care about the Vikings. So help us understand what's going on. Yeah, to sort of build off the MVP conversation, I think the, the argument you make for Cousins is sort of in the same uh, same vein as the one you'd make for Russell Wilson in that uh, he's doing a lot and the supporting cast isn't, um, the, you know, the players around him aren't necessarily doing him the kinds of favors that say, uh, the, the Lamar Jackson's 12 pro bowlers are doing for him. Uh, you know, the, the Adam Thielen has been hurt. Diggs is, Diggs is really good, but he's had weirdly a lot of drops this year and he's caused several interceptions. Um, so as good as Diggs is, you know, there's, there's more negatives to his play than we're used to. Um, and then everybody else is kind of either a rookie or an unknown or uh, a kind of Laquan Treadwell redemption tour. So there's, there's not a lot of receivers there. And then the pass protection, you know, we we see cousins with a lot of time to throw, but a lot of that is scheme. I think if you actually look at how you know, say Pat Elfline is doing when he's one on one versus a three technique, it's not pretty. And the Vikings rank, I think, twenty fourth right now by Pro Football Focus's um, passing grades. And so this the, the article that um, PFF Moo or Timo shared today uh, is a really interesting look into survival rates for offensive lines. So if you're familiar with ESPN's pass block win rate that looks at uh, whether a defender crosses sort of the plane of the offensive line crosses into the pocket within the first two and a half seconds um, whether there's pressure generated uh, in the first two and a half seconds this is sort of the survival rates that uh, the article talks about are similar in that it's um, a matter of time um, it's kind of like how long to pressure um, for each offensive line and what's really interesting uh, I think in the conclusions of that article, you find out at the end that the Vikings actually have the second best sort of clean pocket time to throw uh, in the NFL, second only to the Packers, who, by the way, have had like four of the top five in the last five years or so. But the Vikings are, are right there, up right up there with the Packers this year. And that's that's really I think that speaks a lot to just how much the, the Kubiak rollout play action scheme and uh, the Stefanski, the things he's doing with the screen game and the quick passing and everything else, all the wrinkles on top of it, how much that is helping the offensive line pass protect more. The article goes into detail about this, but um, when you isolate rollouts from other um, non-play action plays, non-rollout plays, when you isolate play action, you see that the time to throw, the clean pocket time to throw is increased. And 
you can also look at you know all the other confounders that um, would cause uh, time to throw to to increase or to decrease like how many players you have in protection and how many blitzers are coming. There's a lot of other really interesting insights in the article that um, that uh, Timo got into, so it's definitely worth checking out. Um, but as far as the Vikings go, I think it's really interesting seeing how maybe uh, you know an over the hill Riley Reef and a struggling Pat Elfline and a rookie Garrett Bradbury aren't necessarily getting it done. Um, from a grading perspective, but just how much the scheme has caused them to be really one of the best pass-protecting offensive lines when you're looking at the results and the clean pockets for Cousins. So really interesting insights from that article. Yeah, and Eric, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot because uh, I know this is likely a tough question, but when you look at something like this where you have players who on an individual basis maybe aren't grading out amazingly, but the scheme is, is, is really helping them, uh, how easy is it? Because obviously the Vikings are going to have some some tough decisions to make come this off season when it comes to you know who comes back who who's being re-signed because of the cap uh, issues that they have um like if you have a, a player who's playing at you know a re replacement level on an individual basis but the scheme is really helping them out are those sorts of players easier to replace either in the draft or or in uh in free agency or is it still just as much of a crapshoot when you're just really looking to get someone who is serviceable with the hope that the scheme can do the rest to maybe hide yeah, them. I, you know, I think that the biggest failure of the John D. Filippo um, time in Minnesota was this idea that execution was the most important thing, right? And we always say, you know, when, when coaches cite execution, it's the, it's the, you know, cop out for, for not putting your players in position to succeed. Right. And so if you, if you are, the type of coach that will put that that is cognizant of the fact that there are players that you can win no matter what with the Patrick Mahomes is the uh, Drew Brees is all those types of players and then there are the the players that you have to build a system around the Kirk Cousins is for example then I think it's fine it's it's the coaches that don't really sort of understand uh, and they want to mold their their system to their, their players to their system and there's, you know, and that becomes difficult. But again, and that, you know, that boils down to the Kirk, you know, Kirk Cousins question where we talk about, you know, I'm in favor of Kirk if, if it's in conjunction with Stefanski, I'm not in favor of Kirk when it's not. I think the same thing's true about with the offensive line. We've seen, you know, last season, you know, uh, you know, the, the coach died during, you know, during you know, right before training camp. So that threw a wrench in it, but all, you know, it's clear that if you don't put a scheme around these sort of average to below average players along the offensive line, it can be a disaster. And we've seen this year that you can make it better than the, the some of the parts. And, our, you know, that's what our coaching metric is designed to show, right? If you take all the players on the offense individually, grade them out, and say this should be the expected points per play, and you get something a lot higher than that, then you're doing a bang-up job. And we've seen that with Stefanski. He's been consistently a top-five player there. You also see it in what I tweeted out and what Matthew Caller wrote about, which is the first 15 plays of a game. He's, he does a bang-up job in that as well. So, you know, to, to answer your question, I think it's, yeah, I mean, I it is easy to replace those players as long as the, the guy doing so is the right guy for the job. And I think. Stefanski, Kubiak, you know, everybody in that in that group uh, are the right men for the job. The question is, can they keep them? All right. Well, uh, let's slide along here because one of the things that uh, is going to be a big determinant in 
who is still here as we move into next year and beyond is how the Vikings finish this season and how deep they get in the playoffs should they make it there. So, Eric, I know that you've been you know, running simulations and, and doing a lot of work, looking at odds and other things like that. Could you help break it down for me? Help me understand uh, how are things looking for the Vikings in terms of making the playoffs, getting maybe a decent seed, and uh, just based on where things are at right now, uh, how far would you see them maybe making it? Yeah, I mean, the, if they did make it into the playoffs. Yeah, the issue is is that they have a very difficult road to make the to make anything other than the fifth or sixth seed. Um, you know, and and frankly, the the sixth seed is probably their destination given uh, you know the the strength of San Francisco and Seattle and their their lack of a tiebreaker with Seattle. Should they should they tie with them? Um, so, uh, basically what I have is, you know, you know, I have them with about a 13% chance to 12 and a half percent chance, sorry, to win the NFC North. And again, it says more about the Packers path than it does the Minnesota Vikings path. I was talking to you off there. Um, I think, I think that the Vikings have a far better chance to be the best team in the NFC North than they do of actually winning it. Um, so, so that's the difficulty there. Um, you know, I have them. Let me look here, um, and uh, I have them making the Super Bowl. Uh, let's look here, um, just to make sure that I can I can actually do this calculation. Uh, I have them winning the Super Bowl about four percent of the time. Um, which is actually, you know, not a terrible. I actually have purchased. So, you know, Flip Mazzi, uh, our pal, you know, talks about how, how I'm so negative on the Vikings all the time. Um, but I actually have a Minnesota Vikings to make um, the the Super Bowl out of the NFC ticket. Um, we have that as about a 9% uh, chance as well. Um, to make it to the conference championship game, let me see here. We have them. Uh, about a 20% chance to make the conference championship, even from what is likely the sixth seed. Uh, and then to win in the first round of the playoffs, we have them uh, a little under 50%. So in their first round game, they have a pretty solid chance uh, of you know winning the game. Um, so the Vikings are not dead here. We, we've all talked about the difficulty of making the Super Bowl, let alone winning it without a first round bye. Um, the path for the Vikings to get a first round buy is pretty, pretty, you know, pretty low. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there's always a chance. I mean, David Blau has given Detroit a chance to win in a couple of games this year. Um, but more, more than likely they're going to be the fifth or sixth seed. Uh, and you know, that just gets tough. I mean, you're basically crossing the road three times to get to the Super Bowl and hoping not to get hit by the car. Yeah. And so the numbers you threw out there, I mean, they don't sound great like of the teams the other teams that are you know angling to to make it or or do something in the playoffs like what are their odds looking like like the patriots or the ravens like what are their odds to make the super bowl looking like at this point in the season yeah let me let me spin those up here um i had just i just ran these um a little bit ago so let me yeah, so for example, the Ravens uh, have about a 41% chance to make the Super Bowl as the very likely one seed in the AFC. 
Um, the Patriots are about 29%, followed by Kansas City at 19% to make the Super Bowl. The NFC is is a lot more flat. Um, for example, we have New Orleans with a 33% chance. Now, a lot of that is because we power rank New Orleans a lot better than the rest of the teams in the NFC. Um, but the other reason is there is a significant chance, about a 60% chance, that Seattle wins the NFC West. Um, and in a situation where Seattle wins the NFC West, New Orleans has a humongous advantage because Teddy went into Seattle and beat them uh, and, and gave you know New Orleans the tiebreaker there. Uh, and so they would be New Orleans would be the one seed. That's one of the toughest home field advantages in all the NFL. Uh, and so if that were you know, and so we have Seattle with a 19% chance to make the Super Bowl, San Francisco with a 17% chance, followed by Green Bay, and then Minnesota, uh, and then Dallas about a 5% chance out of the NFC East. So that and Dallas is basically just because they are you know um, you know Dak has had a terrific year. Uh, as has Cooper and Gallup, um, the path out of the NFC East would be a lot worse if it was a team, for example, like Philadelphia, who we only have with a 2% chance uh, to make the Super Bowl. So um, those are the teams um, in the AFC. It's basically a three-horse race. In the NFC, it's like a one-horse race with uh, the issues out of the NFC West like, sort of slicing those two votes. Uh, you know, you know, Seattle and San Francisco represent 37-ish percent chance, which is more than New Orleans, but they're obviously have to split the two. All right. Well, let's say we can, you know, get in here. And I, I imagine, you know, not having looked at everything, but, you know, if we, we go in and we start things off with, you know, handling business with, with the Green Bay here, knocking them down a couple of pegs, that has to get us maybe increasing those percentages at least a little bit. So, you know, Nick, at the beginning of the season, I know that you had a lot of love for uh, the talent that uh, that we we projected to see on the uh, the Green Bay side of the field. Uh, what are your thoughts now as we we head into this pivotal pivotal matchup? Wow, Woo. forgetting how to speak over here. A pivotal matchup between the uh, the Packers and the Vikings. And uh, are you still feeling as worried about the Packers? Where are you at with it now? And how do you see this one going for the Vikings? Oh boy. Feel like I can see Nick talking, but I can't hear him. Eric, can you hear Nicholas? I, I can't. Um, I can step in though and chat about what I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hop in. Yeah. So this one, this one's interesting because the the Vikings opened as four point favorites, um, uh, and it's got fed out to five, and now it's sort of settled in at four and a half. So people are clearly looking at the motivational aspect for, you know, basically how much does Green Bay want this game uh, because all they really have to do to win the division is beat Detroit, but there's also obviously seeding implications for them. So it's not unimportant for them. But then there's also the very realistic chance that the Vikings are a better team and home field advantage at U.S. Bank Stadium is a lot more um, than the average stadium. Uh, even in a season where home field advantage uh, has been significantly reduced, the Vikings are, are of course, undefeated at home so it's one of those games where you know i i i don't think i necessarily lay the points with the vikings in the betting market but i very much think that they are uh deserve to be favored and and like i said before they have the better quarterback um probably an equally good defense as green bay um and you know for the first time in a long time have probably better weapons than green bay does all right. Uh, Nick, did we get you back? We 
did not get Nick back. Looks like he's speaking. We can't hear him. And I don't know that we're going to be able to top Eric actually coming through saying that Minnesota has the better quarterback, better weapons, better defense too, Nick? I mean, Eric? Uh, I, I'm still really concerned about the Vikings secondary. Um, and I think that there's no one in the – sorry, corners. I, I'm fine with them at safety. Frankly, Anthony Harris should have made the Pro Bowl. Uh, along with Harrison Smith. I even think he probably is more deserving than Harrison Smith is to make the Pro Bowl. Um, But, uh, yeah, Harris is a terrific player. So, like, I'm not concerned about the Vikings slot corner and Mackenzie Alexander or their safety safety position. I'm worried about their corners. Um, And and so when I look at Green Bay across from the Vikings, I mean, you know – Jair Alexander is better than anything the Vikings have. So that's that's really where my concern is for the Vikings on defense. They do also present a, a big threat in the pass rush with the two Smith brothers that they got uh, in free agency. Um, and, and uh, you know, that that former first round pick that they they have in, in the interior name escapes me is, is better than Kenny Clark is better than uh, what the Vikings have in that position. So I think the defenses are mostly a wash. But like I said, I think that the Vikings at home, I think the Vikings with the better offense, uh, the quarterback that has it going quite a bit better than the Green Bay quarterback has it going right now, uh, should be able to help the Vikings prevail here. All right. Well, that is what we like to hear. And uh, before we get out of here, as per usual, Eric, you have been doing quite a bit, putting out a lot of content, obviously, with the podcast. Let the people know where they should be looking for whatever it is you're putting out next. Yeah, so I'm um I'm yeah writing a couple articles this week. You know, luckily for Vikings fans, you haven't been in this position for a while. I'm writing an article about who's the likeliest team to get the number one overall pick and what they should you know what chances uh, do they have to do the things that they want to do there. Um, I'm also talking about the NFC East here. That's been a very interesting division. Uh, the Vikings swept that division, so they're they're much to contribute to that horrible you know collective record for that group. Um, Obviously, you know, writing spread picks articles. I, I had a, an article today about the demise of the Chicago Bears, something we all foresaw before the season started. Uh, again, a lot of that has to do with the division that the Vikings have been playing, and that's been great. So, um, yeah, just a lot of fun stuff. And, uh, yeah, oh, and, and on Monday I'm hosting uh, Purple Daily at, at in the studio because uh, I'll be in Minneapolis. So I'm really excited for the Vikings-Packers game. It will be a lot of fun be watching with a bunch of relatives who are from western wisconsin so, oh boy all right well as usual eric thanks for coming on we lost nick in the car so he did end up pulling a bit of a sexy prince on us but he, he gave us some good analysis beforehand so shout out to nick for coming through on his ride back from work late night and listeners as always thanks for sticking with us we will uh talk to you soon have a good one